The National Conference of the African National Congress is finally upon us. What drama awaits us as the governing party gathers at the Nazareth Conference Center starting from Friday? We also look at the good, the bad and the ugly of the FIFA World Cup in Qatar. And finally, December is wedding season, at least among my people. I share my love-hate relationship with these events. Hello and welcome to another episode of Taking the Rams by the Horns, brought to you by Sowetan Live. My name is Rams Mabote. Thank you for choosing to listen. I hope by now you are a subscriber. If not, that you will be at the end of this episode. South Africa is alive with possibilities. I mean, who would have imagined a former president in jail, a sitting president sleeping on cash, literally, a cabinet minister visiting a common prisoner in jail, or even the post office operating even when they have nothing to do. Can you confirm that delivery performances drop? Welcome to the new Sowetan Live podcast called Taking the Rams by the Horns with me, Rams Mabote. Each week, I will be taking a lighter look at very serious topics that half the time drive you up the wall. This podcast will use humor to take no prisoners, have no holy cows, and cook a whole lot of sacrificial lambs. Do you all remember this moment of madness back in 2016? All of us there in the NEC have our small uh, skeletons, and we don't want uh, to take out a uh, all skeletons out because they will be or hell will break loose from the vantage point of my studio chair it would appear that the skeletons are out of the closet and coming to haunt Batabile Lamini but are these skeletons strong enough though or is something else at play they say a week is a long time in politics ain't that true when last week ended President Cyril Ramaphosa seemed to be on the ropes or shall we say on smelly ground leading up to the conference starting tomorrow. The palapala cow dung was unrelenting. His rivals were emboldened and showing their horns. His detractors were cashing in on his crisis. Nothing was left under the mattress. And boom! This week, things changed in his favor. First, the ANC's electoral committee led by a former president, Khalema Mutlante, delivered a letter disqualifying Batabile Lamini from contesting any leadership positions in the party. Just as the country was regurgitating on this move, another love letter was delivered to another ANC stalwart, Tony Yengeni, echoing the same news. In a space of hours, two prominent opponents of CR were neutered. Or are they? The game was not over yet. A day later... We woke up to the news that that naughty child in the ANC, Karl Niehaus, has been expelled from the party for uh, talking too much. This happened literally a day after Karl was roped into the campaign of presidential hopeful Dr. Zuelim Kize, himself not necessarily in the stakes of good smells. At the time of recording this episode, Cyril seemed to be taking over parliament the same way his predecessor, Jacob Zuma did only a few years ago. Yes, those who have voted yes, 148. 
And those who have voted, who have voted no, 214. The National Assembly was scheduled to vote on uh, impeachment based on the Section 89 panel report that stated that the president may have a case to answer on Palapala. The Cyril camp, with its rod violas like Kwere Mantashe, Figile Mbalula and Speaker Nosiviwe Mapisa Nakula, seems to have clearly whipped the party apparatchiks onto line and they will all be voting, not in secret, against the report. The more things change, dot, dot, dot. Is Cyril finally showing his pay? After all, this is a man who has, for years of his presidency, been accused of being indecisive and weak. He has been accused of trading too carefully in the interest of party unity, while his enemies were having a field day attacking him and exposing his frailties. Until this week, that is. It would seem the buffalo has found its kick. Joining me to make sense of this is Mbazima Shilowa, former Gautem Premier, former COPE leader, and former ANC NEC member himself. You know, this man is supposedly retired. I mean, I we have fun on social media. I see him all over, but damn, to get his time is tough. I must say, I hear him on radio from time to time. Nunangul, uh, good yes, to see sir. you. No, thank it's you been very a long much. Time. You know, the yeah. fact that we talk a lot on social media makes me feel like I see you. But I don't think I've seen you since 2008, and I remember where last I saw you. <laughs> well, I don't remember where, but... Uh... Yeah. Yeah, Centurion it, Golf Golf Club. Oh, yeah. No, that's, that's definitely a long, long time, time ago. That's a long time ago, you know. So that's when I could still swing. Eh? Yes, I remember. Yeah. yeah, you were a single digit then. Yeah. Yeah. Do you still know how to hit the ball? I know how to hit the ball, but you know my uh, my handicap depends on who I'm playing against. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not playing with you soon. Yeah. <laughs> is is the president gaining some courage? At last, I mean, you know, these firings of people. People may claim this is not him, but I smell a cat or a rat. No, I don't think the president is gaining any courage. I think it's just simply the processes that are there, you know. I think if really the president had any courage, he would really have been able to deal with some of the ministers who have openly been defiant against him. I think now this is just all about ANC processes. I'm not even sure that uh, post uh, the conference, if he was to, you know, come on board, that he would uh, take a decision to say, you know what? I now need a team that believes in me. I think he's going to go back to the same situation. No, you know, I don't want to be seen to be factional, and therefore let's keep everybody. But I can tell you, if the other guys came on board, all of the guys that are supporting him would be out. I'm always confused. I thought that people are in there because there's a deployment committee that would have then come to the president and say you must put on you know if you have a cabinet of 27 here are 50 names choose from those there's no such a thing you know when mandela put together his uh, cabinet yeah. uh, he spoke to no one until he had uh, names and then he called myself slovo charles ngakula 
uh, Gomomo and uh, Tatusi Sulu and say, these are my names. We were able to sway him on about four or five names. Yeah. The rest, he said, these are my names. Similarly, with uh, Tabombeki, when he came on board, he had his own names. Halima myself were able to sway him on a few names. And I've got no doubt that Zuma, it was the same thing. And the same thing was... So people always say the deployment committee. All the deployment committee would help to say, and I think really more the leadership is, please, if you can, ensure that enough women, young people, communists, people formerly from Kosatu, and don't be seen to be paging anybody. But the decision is his. Wow. Now, this, this uh, you know, you say he's got nothing to do with the exclusions of Tony and and Batavila, but that's how, that looks strange to me. It looks like, mm. you know, Tony doesn't commit a crime in 2006, or not, mm. even, what, 2003, I think. Yeah. Yeah, and only now he gets reprimanded. You know, yeah. Batavile, you know, the pager restaurant, I'm told by the way she said no, but pager is a small matter. I shouldn't yes. be excluded for this. That should be fun. But, but it doesn't look good from an outsider, does it? It doesn't look good from an outsider from a point of view of when are decisions made. But two points to make, really. I think Batabile and and uh, Tony and Lungisa and anybody who will be, you know, pointed out or, you know, asked to step aside, they're really not telling the truth. They were there in the NEC when these rules were adopted. Nobody said, but uh, guys, we hear you, mm-hmm. but why don't we say from now onwards rather than saying we will go back as far as Tony Yengeni. Yes. Two, but, you know, Tony Yengeni has had his uh, case expunged, so maybe we shouldn't really be going uh, that uh, that way. So the point I'm making is that they were there when the decisions were made. So Halima is really simply saying, because you took these decisions, this is what uh, the rules say. So, but, you know, it's melts, it, it looks like paging only in so far as we have yet to see those guys that are seen to be closer to the president being told also, well, Busasa, EOH, and other things said the following, and therefore you should not be, be there. It may be that in crafting the rules, you know, whoever is in the drafting committee always knows what to bring in. They may have drafted it such that they say, how do we exclude ourselves yeah. while we still ensnare everybody? Or could it be a case where, well, we'll include ourselves after conference. Let's go win conference first and then we can get included. No, no, no. I, I, I think that uh, at least at the moment, there are some guys who have decided we're going to die with Ramaphosa. Yeah. I mean, the president had uh, prepared his uh, resignation speech. There's no debate. There's no doubt. Really? Yes. There's no doubt. But once he spoke to, say, Frank Baleni, Gwede Mantashi, James Mutlati, uh, some of the provinces that support him, and they all said, you're going nowhere. Which is why I think... He's now 
their prisoner because I don't think he was leaving because he thinks he's guilty. I think he thinks he can prove his innocence anyway. Mm. But Cyril was involved in the drafting of the Constitution. So he understands ethics, morals, uprightness, and all of that. And he, he knows he was found wanting. Yeah. But those guys have said to him, we're going in there. We're going to fight for you. You're going to win. And once you win, everybody else that really is now saying this and that will go. So is this the end of the ANC as you've known it or the end of the ANC period? I think that... Uh, I don't think it's the end of the ANC, but the beginning of the end of the ANC in government. You know, UNIP in uh, Tanzania, Tanzania yeah. does not even have one seat in uh, parliament oh. today. Not one seat. The this party of Mwalimu. Party of Liberation. It's not, uh, it's not there. Uh, if you go to um, India, the Indian National Congress, I think is seventh in terms of uh, parties in, uh, in parliament. The problem in our country is not the ANC, it's the opposition. Because there are people who say, I'm fed up with the ANC. I would really want to find someone to vote for. And they look around and say, oh, you know what, I don't find anything. I'll either stay at home or just give the ANC another chance. Yeah, because I was going to vote for COVID, then you left. Well, I didn't leave. I was uh, expelled. But even there, you know, I mean, the, the truth is once there was a lot of infighting, it does not matter who was right or wrong. People look at it and think, you know what, they are fighting for positions. And you try and say, no, is the other fellow. They say, we don't care. Zonke together. And therefore, we're not going to go there. That's why COPE moved from 37 members of parliament to now uh, just two. So th this country that you and I live in called the Twitter country, yes. you know, tends to say most outrageous things. But one of the most outrageous things that I read, and this is my last question, is that uh, from where people sit, even with nominations from the floor, Cyril yeah. is, is, is winning this. I what think, say you? I think I'm one of those people who say... Uh, based on numbers and most of what I have heard, it will take a miracle for him not to go through. You know, I was with guys in Limpopo and I said to them, but, you know, and they said, look, you know, we're going with Cyril. And, and, and I can understand why. Uh, it's both because they support him, but also, you see, they want... Um, chupu out yeah. so he can open space for others and if they are going to do so they know to win they need Houting on board so therefore bring Mashatile and all of that so I th I don't think that uh, Zuelim Kize will, uh, will make it partly not because he did not have a good fight but also because I think between him Nkosazana, Lindiwe, 
you know they were not there you know babedi ba re no tawetsa tlhoka sibuka di sitwa ke nare yes so there is no unity among those that 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 don't want sir yes, yes. you see the, the reason why people could win against tabombeke was because abz came together they yes. said anybody anything anybody but any any anybody but tabombeke yes. that's what we're going to that's why people who now support nkosazana they didn't support her when she was uh, there as a service deputy people who now say 50 50 uh, for women they didn't agree with it because it would have meant toko didiza mlambo nguka and uh nzz you know so that that's really all about it so that's why i look at it and think principle nobody some most of these people wouldn't know how to spell principle backwards <laughs> <laughs> He's the man who brought us the Shilawa train. Remember the Shilawa Express, uh, now known as the Hau train, former premier of Gauteng and former COPE leader, former ANC NEC member himself, Mbazi yes. Mashelowa, and a failed golfer. Thank you, my brother. Thank you very much. Uh, the golfer side, we will see you know, uh, sometime soon. Wonderful having you here. There is no doubting that this year's version of the FIFA World Cup taking place in Qatar could not be scripted. Everything that could go wrong or surprise us happened. First, it was Qatar itself being handed the right to host the extravaganza. In the scheme of shocks, this is not dissimilar to the self-same Qatar being host to the next Miss Universe pageant, where hopefuls will be prancing about in their bikinis professing world peace. Recent polls have shown a fifth of Americans can't locate the U.S. on a world map. Why do you think this is? I personally believe that U.S. Americans are unable to do so because uh, some people out there in our nation don't have maps and uh, I believe that our ed education, like such as in South Africa and uh, the Iraq, everywhere like such as, and I believe that they should, uh, our education over here in the U.S. should help the U.S. or should help South Africa and should help the Iraq and the Asian countries so we will be able to build up our future for our children. Thank you very much. Don't write this one off yet. Money has a way of changing conventions. And then, of course, Qatar banned consumption or the consumption of alcohol during the games just two days before kickoff. This at an event whose major sponsor is a big international beer maker. When we were all shocked and expressed dismay, well, Qatar just switched on the aircons at the multi-billion rand or dollar stadiums to cool everybody off. And then more shocks happened on the field of play. Japan beat Germany before the latter were eliminated in the group stages. Spain also did not make past the group stages. Favorites Brazil were bundled out uh, and then shock of shocks. Morocco made it to the semifinals to be the first African country to make it to the last four. African? Well, he's back and today we talk about the good the bad and the ugly of Qatar 2022 so far. Let's welcome Sunday Times Sport Editor Baremba to Gorgias, BBK to Olen Sandri to take us on the journey and what lies ahead as the World Cup concludes on Sunday. 
Here's a very important disclaimer. This conversation happened on Tuesday before the semifinals and the finals later. So we cannot be held responsible for any outrageous predictions. Uh, Madala, you know, I posted on my social media platforms uh, that had I put money into this game so far, my children would have been reduced to abject poverty. Did you see these results coming? I think I would have seen you in Auckland Park with a pot begging for money. You would have been <laughs> there by Christian Drive. You would have been at all the major intersections, Rams, uh, in Gauteng. Because this has been uh, something, I think in our last conversation, we, we were very skeptical yeah. about this thing. What we had seen uh, on the green. Uh, between the four white lines uh, on the football field uh, has been great. And the results have been um, helter-skelter, if I may use the term. And uh, it's a good thing you are not a betting man because um, the money for your children is very safe. Very, very safe. Only because I'm not a betting person generally. I, I, I'm hopeless when it comes to that. But in your view, was there one team or nation or two that you think were overhyped and have have proved that they were actually overhyped. I think you should say two. And uh, simply because people want to say uh, the traditional, you know, uh, uh, European uh, uh, strong forces of uh, world football. In yeah. this instance, it will be Germany. It will also be Spain. Well, with Germany, maybe to some degree, there's an element of truth in that because those four stars are not above their page for nothing. But if you look at the journey that they traveled uh, leading up to Qatar and the kind of results that they were getting, it did not look like they were going there as a team that is going to shake the tiny ground of Qatar and make all the water uh, 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 come out. Uh, Germany is not the same. Germany is living on reputation, and I think also Fritz took at the time when there was not enough uh, opportunity for him to turn the team into what he would have wanted it to be. I think that some players were there for no reason at all, apart from the fact that they had contributed to their success in the past. I, I think that there are some exciting youngsters like Musiela. I wish you were South African, but even if you were South African, you would, not. <laughs> you would be too young for us. <laughs> yeah, the, the second one would be Spain. Um, you know, go back to Barcelona during Johan Cruyff's time. I think you and I were like by yeah. then. But go Barcelona when there was a, a Pep Guardiola in charge. And we love our football and we watch Barcelona and we saw what Iniesta did, we saw what Xavi did, we, we saw what David Silva did, we, we, we saw what that team was all about. Mm -hmm. Even the Pus that is now uh, uh, in his last legs. He's a senior now. Yeah, no, for sure. I think he should not even have been there, you know. But Spain, um, at some stage, someone has got to hit them at the back of the head and say, it is nice to have the ball, but the idea of having the ball is to get it into the net, the net. Uh, right way passing and all of that it is not going to achieve you anything in the end it doesn't say who had more passes it says one morocco zero speech and that's all it is right but somebody said to me somebody said to me that you know european countries are still going to blame the heat in qatar is that a cop-out because they are hypocrites because they are hypocrites. Yes, Rams, in 2006, I was in Germany. Eh? 
yeah. when they hosted the World Cup. It yeah. was very hot. The weather was lovely. It was very hot and people played football. People play football in hot conditions all the time. I think the element of the heat in Qatar, <clears throat> excuse me, was a tad exaggerated, you know. And if you look also at the measures that they went into in terms of trying to make sure that that does not impact so negatively on the players themselves, uh, you, you will say uh, big ups to them. So they will always look for something uh, to blame. Um, the hypocrisy of these people, especially those ones who are colonizers of South Africa, England, you know, I felt so sad <laughs> when I saw um, what happened to, to Sarko, what happened uh, in the, to... In the Euros, right? Yeah. In the Euros, in the final, when yeah. those black those penalties, all three of them. And then I was like, okay, here's the Messiah now missing a penalty that should have continued their fighting this thing. Look at our colleagues. I don't even think we should call them our colleagues because they are such rubbish. Those people who are in the media in England. Look at what they wrote then and look at what they are writing now. Look what? at what that did to those boys then and look at what they are saying now. It's completely chalk and cheese. So well-deserved uh, coming home. Uh, it's 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 the England national team coming home, not the World Cup. <laughs> and, th and then there was some country called Morocco. I mean, their victory last Saturday. I promise you, that was the first time I put money uh, on the game and I said, Portugal are going to go through them so easy, especially after they disposed of Switzerland, the 6-1 demolition. I thought, no chance for Morocco. What happened there on Saturday? Let me expose you. You had a list of four teams that were going to be in the semifinals. And I'm happy my friends are not a betting man. <laughs> Because all those, all those teams that you put there on your social media did not make me. Hey, all of them. No, except one. Except one. Yeah, yeah, mm -hmm. except one. So, but uh, still, it is a three-one. Terrible. I mean, it's a 25% it's return. That's horrible, me. Very horrible. <laughs> you know, a country called Morocco. Um, let's talk about this first before we talk about the football. A country called Morocco is located on the continent of Africa. Mm -hmm. uh, a country called Morocco that appears to be confused as to exactly who they are. Mm -hmm. In the sense, if you follow uh, international developments, or maybe I say if you are a student of history, you, you will know that uh, those North African uh, brothers, in inverted commas, uh, done everything in their power to try and go and join the European Union. Mm. And uh, if the African Union, in fact... And uh, you, you, you will know that um, the biggest flag that was flying in Qatar uh, is not the Qatar flag. Uh, it is the Palestine flag. Mm -hmm. And people uh, who were forward in, 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 in actually promoting that were, were the Morocco players as well as their supporters, many of them who, who were there and painted the, the terraces red. And then you ask yourself, good, okay, this is great because all of us Right-thinking people are thinking that um, those other crazy people from Israel should not be doing what they are doing to Palestine. I mean, I read this morning that an eight-year-old girl was uh, shot with six bullets, uh, one in the head, uh, and she died on the scene by, by the Israeli police. So all of us who are right-thinking and uh, are adherents of freedom would have wanted this nonsense that the Israelis are doing to Palestine to end. But Morocco flying these flags in support of Palestine, 
and there's a small matter, small matter of uh, Morocco and uh, and um, what's name Western Sahara. Yeah, yeah. We should, we sh- never should we forget that moment. We should not. Yeah, we should not. But each to his own, uh, and and God for us all, Matala. And also, um, there has to be something that needs to be done in terms of uh, not really strengthening, but improving relations uh, between those who are in the north with uh, lighter hue, and and those of us who look like PBK, uh, who are blacker than black, uh, because also it was a sad thing. Sorry, sorry to interrupt you. I mean, for me, you know. I mean, Bufal, the, 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 the man we're talking about here, I mean, moved so quickly from hero to villain. I mean, we, we all loved him when he danced with his mother after the win over Spain. And then he touched us on our studio when he forgot that, uh, you, know, you know, we're celebrating as Africans and he did not recognize us. Thank you. Thank you very much. The only thing what I can say is Alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah. Allah Taala is with us. He's with us. All the Muslims, all the Moroccan fans, all the people around the world who are with us, they're praying, they, they are crying, they are happy. This is for, this is for you. This is all for you. Uh, how, how, this game, this, this game, this tournament, we do it for you. Alhamdulillah, inshallah, we're going to do, make you more proud. You don't forget what you are not. And you don't recognize what you don't like. So to him, he's an Arab. Uh, to, to him, the victory is for all the Islam and Muslim people. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, you, you know, I, I would have preferred for him not to come back, uh, Rams, to, to try and say whatever nonsense he was saying to correct this thing. In fact, can I quote him? I need to quote him, his, 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 uh, his uh, comeback. I thought it was worse. He said, and I'm going to quote him, sorry for forgetting to mention all of the African continent yesterday in the post-match interview. I thought that was good enough. Then he says, I also dedicate the victory to you, of course. What do you mean to you, of course? It's almost like an afterthought, right? But he he then dug himself even further. He said, we are proud to represent all our brothers on the continent. And I thought, what happened to the sisters? It's an afterthought. Uh, The fact of the matter is that, as I was trying to explain to you in my travels in North Africa, I've, I've, I've felt, I have felt personally how uh, uh, the dislike is, you know, for, for people who look like me. To cut a long story short, we traveled to go and watch a final of the Confederation Cup, not the Champions League, mm-hmm. the Kev Cup. Yes. It was Tunis, capital of Tunisia. Uh, football, we were fine and everything. And, you know, there are always like some kind of fight sometimes. And then we went back to the hotel, we took a shower, we thought, ah, let's go to a nightclub. I was with two white brothers, and the colored brother uh, uh, and, and, and myself, when we went through the door at the nightclub, three people went ahead of me. And as I was about to enter, these two men, shoulder to shoulder, they shook their heads. And I'm like, but I'm going in, I'm with those guys. And they went, and then I was like, hey, thank you. And I'm like, I'm angry. Thank you. I think they were telling me, you are not going to go in. You know, I stood there and I felt if there was a way for me to get a plane to get out of this place now. I will leave now and go back home. So these are the, there are many other examples I can cite, but I'm saying there has to be a way 
someone must find a way of trying to, to improve relations and make people remember that you are not located in Africa. You are in Africa. No one is fighting you for uh, 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 identifying with the Arab world. But at the same time, uh, what, what Bulal did, I think, was um, a, a wide example of how many of these North African countries, not just Morocco, uh, perceive themselves against the rest of us. So, who's going to win? You know, you read the Sunday Times, right? Religiously. Before the Sunday, before the World Cup started, I had said, this is the last hurrah for Messi. I put forward my reasons why I believe that it will be a travesty of justice uh, if the little flea uh, completes his career without having laid his hands on that gold. Uh, not because of Marathon, um, uh, because of the, 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 the joy because of uh, the happiness, because of uh, the magic, because of all the things that we've been privileged to see him do with uh, 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 um, uh, the, the, the round ball. I think that someone like Messi, if you follow his his life, I must buy you that book, because I don't believe in borrowing people's books. They don't bring them back. I'll buy you a book called Messi, and it will tell you about the difficulties that he went through. As, as a child, yeah. as a growing up until he went until he went to Spain, and then Bam Kenik, Bam Kenik, him his legs that were weak and all of that, and and everybody knows uh, what, what followed uh, is history. It, it will be great to see Argentina win this this World Cup, but at the same time, everyone is talking about Messi, Rams. There is a guy called Luka Modric somewhere yes. in Croatia. Yes, you know. I think in 2052, he'll still be playing football. With every year that passes, he becomes younger. I, I think he's also a genius par excellence. Uh, it, it's just that he, he he doesn't have the fame and the popularity like, like a Messi, like a Ronaldo. But um, if they are able to go through and beat Argentina and go through to the final again, I hope it's a second time lucky because... It was sad to see them lose to France the last time. And they are a bit older. They are a bit longer in the tooth. Even that will make it more special if they are able to win it four years after losing in the final. And then, uh, please, uh, get some tissues for, for what's his name? Ronaldo. Yeah, get some tissues. <laughs> BBK. Please catch him on Sports Life with BBK. That's his podcast. And of course, read his column in the Sunday Times. Always beautiful chatting to you, my brother. Have a great one, Mr. Rams. Have yeah. a great one. Thank you. I am in my 50s and you can bet at this age I have done quite a lot of things, chief among them attend wedding ceremonies. In fact, I remember the very first wedding ceremony I attended was as a page boy. By the way, I didn't know that word until I had to do this recording. I only knew flower girls. I didn't know what the boys were called. But I was a page boy at an aunt's wedding. I was probably seven or eight then. As you can imagine, it was in the 70s, 1970s, and in the township, things did not happen exactly how they do, say, in the lavish wedding venues of today. You see, people did not have things like confetti. 
So what do you imagine people threw at the bridal couple, the flower girl and the poor me page boy in replacement of confetti? Dried corn. Damn dried corn. And they threw it at us with the same venom they would have thrown confetti at us. But unlike confetti, the landing was not gentle. In fact, it was violent. I cried. And unlike the bride, mine were not tears of joy or those of fear of the unknown. I was in pain. My dear mother was so sad for me, but she was wise enough not to interfere. After all, this was not about me. As you know, they say in weddings, it's about the bride. I should have known then that my relationship with wedding ceremonies was never to be glorious going forward. Other than sometimes getting cold food or people who never RSVP and long-winded speeches, I hate weddings mostly for poor timekeeping. Now bear with me. I'm not exaggerating that I have attended only two weddings that started on time. Two. One of them was mine. The other was recently in Limpopo where I expected much less. Generally, our wedding ceremonies start late. Mostly very late. I have been at weddings that started one hour late, and these are in the minority. And then I've been at those where lunch was served at 5 p.m. I even went to one where lunch was served at 7 p.m. More about this later. The excuses for lateness vary, but the most common is that the bride was late. Late? You get engaged in 2019, you plan your wedding for two years, and in 2022, on your wedding day, you are late. What could have caught you by surprise? I have excused a few guys who lamented that their wedding gowns were delivered late and they were not the right size. But these are few and far between. The majority of our brides are late because, quote, this is my day. I'm going to take my time. Close quote. I remember this one wedding in Google to Cape Town where I arrived at exactly the time stated on the invite and I was told nonchalantly, I mean, I just missed the bride by a whisker as she left to do her hair at the time of the beginning of the ceremony. As you know, women's hair is second only to government service delivery when it comes to speed and punctuality. So for some reason, even when the hairdresser is booked, they tend to take on other clients before the bride. But I can never blame the hairdressers because maybe from experience, they know the bride will be late anyway. So if they finish their hair quickly, that is in two hours after the scheduled time of the start of the ceremony, the bride still has to go get their makeup done. That's another marathon. And then... There are those who go to church after all that delay. You better pray the priest is not one of those who thinks that this is the right time to speak down upon those who are not married, to recruit new members to the church, or to give a lecture on how to keep marriage going. Praise yourself for a church service that will drive you to hell. I attended one like that in Port Elizabeth, or shall I say Trevecha, some decade or so ago. Even after I had stomached the preacher man, it was not over. As we left church, 
and I thought we were ready for lunch at 4.48 p.m. The cars headed for the park where the bridal couple were going to take pictures. If Johannesburg was 30 minutes away then, I was ready to leave and get myself a drive by Kentucky Streetwise too. By the way, back at the ranch, as these things are happening, those guests who are smart enough to miss church and rather wait at home or wherever the ceremony will be held are not in a better place. They are most likely sitting under the marquee, hungry, sweating, fed only the boring wedding songs from the local DJ who loves his speakers more than the ears of the guests. It is not unheard of for the guests to wait for four to five hours while the bride and the groom, mostly the bride, go through their thing. I was exposed to such about six years ago at Sun City, at the Sun City Resort. You would think people who take their guests all the way to Sun City would have the decency to feed and wind them, and wind them while they wait, right? I mean, I think that should happen. Next, nada, luto. We just had to wait. It's not our day after all. Lunch was served at 7 p.m. after many uninspiring speeches. Now, here's the thing about bridal couples. As, as they arrive home from church, normally in the normal weddings that I go to, not Sun City, just as you get in relief that they've arrived, the bridal party breaks into song and dance. Ululation and dust mix in the air. We wait again. And then finally the ceremony starts. Phew. But the torture starts afresh. An inept family member or the groom's inarticulate friend, sometimes already tipsy, takes over as master of ceremonies. Uh, I'd like to begin now. Uh, <laughs> uh, right, well, 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 I've known the groom ever since we first went to school together at the age of eight. And you know, he hasn't changed a bit. Uh, well, that's not quite true, of course. He didn't have his beard then. <laughs> um, and I tell you this, he wouldn't have been able to do whatever he was doing last night with those two extraordinary, extraordinary, um, extraordinary how little people change. At this point, I have the blade on my veins. I just want to die. He, and it is mostly he, speaks forever before he introduces speakers between the speakers, and even after the prayers. It gets worse. At some weddings, they then decide they are going to introduce the families to one another. I swear I don't know why this does not happen privately, away from us, the guests. At this point, we get to know about the, the aunt four times removed and her children, especially that one who is a nurse in Johannesburg. Everybody relates. I cringe. Finally, when they have satisfied themselves that they have spoken enough, by which time the gel on the bride's head has melted over her dress and the mascara has all but drizzled with her tears to the bottom of her chin. And the groom is by now also irritated. We get invited to lunch, whatever the time of day or night it is. At this point, it is when I forgive that neighbor who at the buffet dishes up everything in one plate. When you have waited for so long, watermelon goes very well with curry or with a touch of custard on top. So don't bother sending me the wedding invite. 
andizi tinekazi. And that concludes this week's episode of Taking the Rams by the Horns. All things equal, next week we bring you the drama and behind-the-scenes happenings from the ANC conference in Nazareth. From me, Rams Mabote, goodbye and God bless.